several in the Old Testament and two in the New. So um, I hope that's a balance. (laughs) So our first reading is from Genesis chapter 12. It's all well-known passages that you will know. And we'll just read the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. It's when God spoke to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's a string of promises there that God promised to do. And now if we turn over to Exodus 2. Exodus chapter 2. Again, a very well-known passage. I'm sure you all know the story. Uh, and we'll read uh, Exodus 2, just 23 to 25. I've got that wrong, haven't I? No, 23 to 25. That's correct, yeah. So Exodus, Exodus 2, 23 to 25. Remember that the... Uh, the children of Israel went uh, down into Egypt and, and, were, uh, and, and under Pharaoh and, and they became slaves. And verse 23 says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. It's a covenant we just read. With Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And now over to chapter 12 of Exodus. Sorry about these readings, but it's more important to read the word, I think, than, uh, than anything. Exodus 12, and we'll read 17 to 28. 17 to 28. And God said to his people, celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast. From the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses. And whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Whether he is an alien or a native born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, 
It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And now we come down through the centuries and we turn to Luke chapter 2. One of my favourite stories about, about Jesus because it's the only one that tells us anything about when he was a lad, when he was a boy. So it's Luke chapter 2 and we'll read the story 41 to 51. Luke chapter 2, 41 to 51. God commanded the Israelites all those years ago to keep the Passover and here we are thousands of years later and we read this every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover when he was 12 years old they went up to the feast according to the custom after the feast was over while his parents were returning home the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it thinking he was in their company they traveled on for a day Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. And then finally, Luke 22, just 20 or so brief years later, and we read this. Luke 22, verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, 
he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to us this morning. Well, this morning we, we come in from uh, finding ourselves in a, a very different world than what most of us was born into. I mean, looking around, um, when I talk to certain people of a certain age and certain colour hair, uh, we, we reminisce and we say what things were like when we were young and how different they are today. And I'm sure we can all recall how different our lives were as children compared with the children of the world today. Um, I, I was a post-war baby in 1948. Uh, things were still a little bit scarce. Things were tough for my mum and dad, uh, myself and my sister. But nevertheless, we grew up in a, a loving, uh, stable Christian home. Um, <clears throat> loads of harmless fun. And uh, when I was a naughty boy, I mean, the naughtiest things that I did really was uh, after choir practice on a Friday night, we would, we would come home, a group of us, and we go what we call door knocking. No, no, you've not heard of that. You knock a door and run away. Very naughty. Somebody's nodding their head there. You did it as well then. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, but we had loads of fun. I mean, um, I would be up in the woods most of the day on a Saturday, uh, cycling on my own, exploring the Mendips. Holidays abroad, we used to go to Cardiff in Wales. And... Uh, you imagine saying to children today, we're going on holiday in Cardiff. I, think, I don't think they'd um, be too um, thrilled about that. But it was a great, a great adventure for us, going on the train, coming up to Temple Meads from Wales, where I used to live, getting on the train and going through the tunnel, get to the other side of the tunnel. We're in a different country. We're in Wales. It was great. Uh, we had great times. But it wasn't all hunky-dory, as, as we know in the world. But how different today's world for a lot of young people It's sad, isn't it, that now over 50% of young children are not living with their um, biological parents. They come from broken homes, over 50% in our country. They're faced at school and they start going to school with subjects that were never even in our minds, gender issues. Uh, There's the the drug scene, which again was not really about in, in my day. There are mental issues and mobile phones. We never have mobile phones in our day. They are good, mobile phones. I've just used mine. Um, but they're also bad as well. And Ruth and I have been uh, saying this week, you know, n- nearly every week now, there seems to be a knife crime with, with young, involved with young people, teenagers, uh, even this week. Uh, the last two weeks, I think, there's been instances in Bristol of teenagers, young teenagers, 14 Um, um, committing knife crime and even committing murder. In the wider world, we look at the nations in turmoil, the wars and rumours of wars. Uh, We hear a lot about climate change. We We don't hear so much about persecution of Christians, but it's going on in many countries today. Scandals, etc. We've got a scandal going on in our own country, haven't we, with the... uh, with the old post office. So I hope you're thoroughly depressed by now. <laughs> That's the bad news. <laughs> so we get to the good news. 
The question I want to ask us this morning is, enough for us to think about, just very briefly, how can we be sure of anything or anyone in our world today? Who or what can we trust? The psalmist David lived in, in very troublesome and dangerous times. I mean, his, he, his, his life was in danger right from square one. The, the previous king, Saul, was after him and wanted to kill him. He lived in dangerous times. And yet he said this in Psalm 119. He said, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And in Psalm 33, he says this, The word of the Lord is right and true. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. So David the psalmist, he relied on the word of God. He said, the word of God is eternal. It's applicable to all generations. And friends, that includes our generation this morning. The word of God is still applicable to us and our generation. We can trust God. We can trust God's purposes, his plans, his word. Even though sometimes we might feel that God's given up on us. And perhaps given up on the world. You know, things are getting out of, out of hand, it seems. Maybe our prayers don't seem to be answered. Maybe we're unsure about our future. But we can rely, we can trust on God and his word. And the reason I say that is not just wishful thinking. I say that because of what we've read this morning from God's word. And how God has kept his promise. We were thinking of it with the children, weren't we? How God has kept his promise. That Noahic covenant that he said he would never flood the whole earth again and put in a rainbow in the sky. God's covenant, God's promise. Now God's people, Israel, must have felt like that, very vulnerable and very downcast in our Old Testament reading. They were God's covenant people. They were, they were the, the people that God had made so many promises to He promised to bless them. He promised to make them into a great nation. Give them the land of Canaan as an everlasting covenant. Yet they found themselves oppressed in slavery in Egypt. God had forgotten them, surely. God had given up on them. And they were in great danger. And just at that time, they cried out to God. And God heard their cry. And it says this, we read it. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That covenant he made in Genesis chapter 12. And it's an everlasting covenant. It still applies today. And we'll say a bit more about that in a moment. It's an amazing story we all know. God remembered his covenant. And it, the covenant was to make them into a great people and to give them a particular land. A land which there is so much dispute about today. But that's the land that God has promised them, the land of Israel. And then God established the Passover. He said, I want you to keep a feast, uh, the Passover, to remind you of two things. Once you were once slaves. And secondly, to remember God's deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. That was two things they were to remember every time they they had the Passover or the the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And down through these centuries, as I said earlier, the the, the God's people have kept these feasts, all the feasts 
God-given feast, including Passover. And once a year, Jewish families will celebrate Passover and rid their houses of yeast and so on, as God has commanded them. Now, Jesus himself, we we go on to the New Testament now, Jesus himself was brought up in a a God-fearing Jewish family. He was Jewish. And once a year, his parents would take him along to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And... uh, So every year they would go up to Jerusalem in obedience to God's command. So Jesus lived in Israel, the covenant land, the promised land. We don't hear that expression very often these days, do we? That Israel is the promised land. Because it's a bit embarrassing because a lot of people in the world are saying that the land does not belong to Israel. A lot of countries around Israel are saying that there should be no Jews there. And no matter how many times Al Jazeera, the news programme, BBC, ITV reporters call the Jewish people in Israel illegal occupiers, who are we going to believe? God's word says differently. God's word says it belongs to them. It was the same in Nehemiah's day. Remember the story of Nehemiah when he went back to uh, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. There were people there, if you read it, in in Nehemiah chapter 2. They were claiming rights to that land. And Nehemiah said to them, you have no historical right and no claim on this land. Nehemiah wasn't being unkind. He was just saying the truth and saying God's word. And so Jesus attended Passover every year with his parents in Israel. And when he was 12 years old, he stayed for a little bit more. And he wasn't missed for a whole day. He stayed at Jerusalem and his parents, I suppose they were busy chatting, you know, catching up with all the news after not seeing people for a whole year. And they were chatting away and then they realised that they didn't know where Jesus was. He was not missed. Anyway, after three days, they found him. And Joseph and Mary were absolutely beside themselves. Why did you treat us like this? We've been anxiously searching for you. I think that's an understatement. I think they were frantic. Because um, a few years ago, (laughs) one of my daughters is going to dread this. But anyway, we're on holiday in Bigbury-on-Sea. Anybody been to Bigbury-on-Sea in Devon? No. Yes, somebody. Lovely place. And uh, we were on holiday with a daughter and two grandchildren and we went into a a cafe for a meal and in that cafe was a a play area and my granddaughter absolutely loved it there so we dragged her out after uh, we finished our meal and uh, went down on the beach well surprise surprise you won't believe this honestly you won't but my wife and my daughter wanted to go shopping go around the shops can you believe that nor did I. But anyway, they went off shopping and left me, Gramps, with the children on the beach. So I was uh, making sandcastles quite happily with my grandson. And then they came back. And then they said, where's the granddaughter? And she wasn't around. Sheer panic. We didn't know where she was. I thought she was with them. 
they thought she was with me and she wasn't around. So I went running up and down the beach asking everybody in sight, have you seen a little girl running around? Nobody's seen her. Looking out at the sea, thinking she might have gone out of the sea. It was terrible. It was terrible. Panic. And then somebody approached my wife and said, are you looking for a little girl? And my wife said yes. Ruth said yes. And what had happened, she'd wandered back to the cafe and was playing in the play area quite happily on her own. And so we went back there and we found her and and all as well. But when I read that story of Jesus at the temple, um, my heart really goes out to Joseph and Mary and how they must have thought, uh, felt at that time. It's very human, isn't it, God's word? It's very human, down to earth. So they found him in the temple. He was debating, what was he debating? He was debating the scriptures, God's word. Jesus knew the word of God. He knew his father's heart because he knew the word of God. And if we want to know God's heart, if we want to know the way God is thinking, we need to know God's word. We really do. Especially in this day and age when his word is being challenged so much. His understanding amazed the, the teachers uh, and, and of the law and, and the, the, the leaders who were there. Well, I believe that the, in this day and age we have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding of the word of God in these days. It is so applicable to what is happening in our world today. What future have our young people got if there is no future for God's kingdom to come here on earth? If there's, no, if there's no hope that Jesus one day will come back and restore God's kingdom on this earth. Jesus made three promises and again, he never breaks his promise. He promised to build the church and he's building it. He's promised to send the Holy Spirit and he sent it. And he's promised to come again and he will come again. He will not break his promise. 21 years later, we read in Luke 22. 21 years later, Jesus was attending Passover again. But this was a very, very different circumstance. He asked his disciples to go and prepare a place for Passover. And they did. And they went to the upper room. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus celebrated and they looked back and remembered. They remembered that their ancestors were slaves in Egypt. They remembered that there was a deliverer, someone who saved them, Moses. And then Jesus said, this cup is the covenant, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, how did Jesus know about the new covenant? Because the new covenant, as you all know, is found in Jeremiah chapter 31. It was found in God's word. Jeremiah 31. I will just read it to you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you know it. But this is the new covenant. The new promise. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. And when God did that, of course, he established 
the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, etc. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Now God is going to keep that promise, that new covenant, as sure as he's kept the, the promise uh, to, to Noah not to flood the earth again. And we have surely, my, my heart this morning is, is begging you to take comfort from the promises and the word of God as we go into this world full of the troubles that we know about and full of the unrest and full of the broken homes and the things that are going on around us. And sometimes it can overwhelm us and we need to remember that God is still, we are still in control and God is still working his purposes and his plans throughout through this generation. So I pray that that might be an encouragement to us all this morning. Um, as we uh, come to a close. Thank you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that in this uncertain, unsure and troubled world that your word is eternal and it will stand forever. We thank you for the promises that you've made and you've kept. We thank you for the promises that you are bringing to pass in our generation We thank you that you promised to bring your children back to Israel, your your people of Israel, uh, the Jews, back to Israel, and that you're doing this in this, our generation. We thank you that you are going to write your word in their hearts and forgive their sin. And we thank you that you're going to keep the promise to, to send Jesus back to this earth to establish your kingdom on earth. And that all the nations then will be blessed from Jerusalem. Father, we do, we do thank you for your word and the things contained in it. Help us to value, help us to read, and help us to get to know your heart contained in your word. We thank you that Jesus knew your word. And people were amazed at his learning. And we thank you that he also went to the cross and that he shed his blood and that he has become our Passover lamb and that we are saved from God's wrath through his shed blood. And we praise you and thank you for that too this morning. Father, we pray that you will go with us as we go to our homes. We thank you for this time together. And we thank you again for the children and pray that they will be blessed too in this uncertain world and that they will grow up to know and to love your word and get to know your heart. Father, we ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.